Well, happy Resurrection Sunday as we come together to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to do this this morning from the Gospel of Mark just to, to finish off our week in the book of Mark. Last Sunday, we began the week with Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem as we get God Passion Week started. And he enters into Jerusalem to shouts of praise extolled as the king of Israel, the Davidic redemptive redeemer Messiah that had been prophesied. And they had spent so many years longing to see him come. And here he comes into Jerusalem. And then just a few chapters later in Mark, we read this. And I'm going to begin with Jesus on the cross because we cannot understand the resurrection if we don't first understand the death. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, the stone was from the entrance. And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed, and they said to him, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from among, fled from the tomb, and trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be exalted on high as you are resurrected from the grave and you are alive. You live to make intercession for your people and to serve as our king. We ask that at all things we would look to you today, that we would recognize you as the risen Lord, King of all. We pray this in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, what a difference a week can make, right? Uh, we said last week that he enters and they're extolling him. And then now we begin in Mark with Jesus on a cross, a crucifixion, a slave's death. The crowds that had heralded him as the king, the, the messianic son of David a week prior, they're asked, do you want to spare Jesus? Jesus was innocent. He had committed no crime. You're given a choice. 
Do they spare him or do they spare Barabbas, the murderer? Pilate asked the crowd, what shall you have me do with Jesus? And the crowd breaks out into a riot, shouting, let him be crucified. Jesus had done nothing wrong. He lived his entire life without sin, not even for one millisecond, not for one moment did a single sinful thought enter into his mind, and now he was chosen to be crucified over a murderer. But the crucifixion of Jesus doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't tell the whole story of Good Friday. A horrific, painful Degrading the scourging and the crucifixion of Jesus. Yes, they were. But friends, I want you to hear this. That was nothing, nothing compared to what it was like for Jesus in that moment when the Father turned his back on him. When that relationship with the Father was severed for just a moment. Because what does Jesus say? when he's on the cross, as he's hanging there. His flesh torn, nails in his hands and feet. And what does Jesus say? Does he cry out in pain over that? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting here from Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we read, in Psalm 22, they have pierced my hands and feet. For, the, for a moment on the cross, all of the sin of the world was put on to Jesus. All of the sin of the world, everything that you have ever done, if you belong to him, all of it was put on to Jesus. And the Father crushed him. He left nothing back he poured all of it on him and he crushed him in isaiah 53 10 we read that it was the will of the father to crush the son at the crucifixion of christ jesus he felt completely and utterly forsaken he was crushed under the wrath of the father in this moment we we see so clearly the love of the triune god the father crushing his own son whom he loved for the sake of his people. And the son giving himself freely as a sacrifice to be crushed. Jesus existed with God the father from eternity past in perfect and unhindered fellowship, perfect unity and perfect love. But he comes down from the glories of heaven for this very purpose to take all of the wrath of the Father upon himself. And we see that Jesus was willing to do so in the fact that Jesus yielded up his spirit. Jesus was not powerless to save himself. It's not that Jesus couldn't save himself. It's that the King of glory chose not to save himself. You see, when the bystanders at the cross, when they look upon Christ, and they say, if you are who you say you are, come down. Come down. It's not that Jesus was unable. It's not that Jesus could not come down from the cross. It's that Jesus couldn't save himself. 
and you. He couldn't save himself and his people. So the king of glory chose willingly to give himself that he might save his people. You see, in order to save, Jesus must die. So, so the king of glory, he, he takes his final breath. He, he breathes his last. The body was wrapped, wrapped in cloth and covered in spices. This was foreshadowed in Jesus' birth. This was always the plan. Jesus knew exactly why he came. He knew exactly what he must do. And Easter morning begins. And, and what we must know, Easter morning begins with the dead Christ. Dead, not alive. Mary Magdalene married the mother of James and Salome are going to visit the body of Christ and, and to anoint the body of Christ with spices. They are traveling and they're having this conversation. How are we going to get the stone rolled away? There's this gigantic boulder, and it took many men to move these boulders in and out of position. And there's this gigantic boulder, and this is the conversation they have. This is what they're worried about. They're not going to visit a resurrected Christ. They're going to visit a corpse and to anoint it with spices. And they look up. The boulder was gone. But we have to begin Easter not with the resurrection, but we have to begin Easter with the death. So let's talk about death. Death is an odd thing. It's something that simultaneously every single one of us has in common. Death is really the only thing that we can be 100% sure of in this life apart from Christ. We read of our humanity in the book of Ecclesiastes. From ashes to ashes, from dust to dust, from the dust of the ground you have come, and to the dust of the ground you shall return. Typically, people respond to the reality of death in one of two different ways. There's really two ways that people respond to this and, and cope with this and deal with it. On the one hand, you have the person that is uh, totally afraid of it. They live enslaved to the fear of it. It's always on their mind. They spend their time dwelling upon how they can avoid it. And they live their whole lives, revolve around something that is inevitable anyways. And then you have the other way. Another way that people typically respond to death and that's to pretend it does not exist at all and so we have to ask ourselves the question what do you want is it the truth or is it what you want to believe see most people that they, they convince themselves of what truth is but it's not based in reality it's based in what they want to believe it's like when you're eating something delicious right and someone says don't you know what that's made of? I don't want to know. Don't ruin it for me. I'd rather just pretend that it's basically just a salad that looks like a hot dog, right? I'd rather just 
create a false reality and pretend that something's not true. But this is how so many people cope with death. They pretend it does not exist and they create a false reality for themselves. In fact, these two options that I've given you, they are the only two options. If our passage ended in verse 3, if Easter Sunday ended here, if Jesus was left in the grave, that, that's it. You either pretend it doesn't exist, create a false reality up for yourself, or you live enslaved to the fear of it. But as Mary, Mary, and Salome are traveling to the tomb, wondering how they're going to maneuver this giant boulder to get inside, they finally arrive at the tomb. And the stone is gone. Someone is inside the tomb, alive. Not Jesus. Jesus is gone. He's not there. Now, you can go and visit in Israel the place where they believe the tomb of Christ was. That is debatable. Uh, but on the inscription of where this empty tomb, this garden tomb is, it says Jesus is not here. He's gone. And I remember hearing a testimony uh, from a missionary, a very well-respected guy. He has written many books on his work in the mission field. And how he came to know Christ was he had never heard of Jesus. He was in Israel, and someone had he was on a, some kind of tourist trip, and one of their stops on the trip was this garden tomb. And he gets inside of the tomb, and he's looking at it, and he doesn't know why, but he just starts weeping. And he's weeping, and he doesn't know why. And then an hour later, someone goes up to him and says, have you heard about Jesus? And he says, well, I think I was just at his tomb. Tell me about it. Jesus has risen from the grave, conquering sin, death, and Satan. One of my favorite things to think about on a Resurrection Sunday is one of Jesus' disciples who I, I often find myself uh, associating with. It's the disciple Thomas. And John's account of the resurrection, after Jesus had arisen from the grave, he's standing amongst his disciples. He, he shows them his hands where the nails had pierced him and his feet and his side where the spear had been had pierced him through. But one of the disciples is not there. That disciple is Thomas. And a week later, Thomas is with the other disciples. The disciples say, Thomas, we've seen him. Thomas, Jesus is alive. Thomas says, John 20, 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and I put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Then Thomas is with the other disciples and they're in a room and the doors are locked. They're hiding out from the Romans. The doors are locked and Jesus appears. And he looks at Thomas. He sees Thomas. He knows that Thomas did not believe. And he says, put your finger here. 
see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. So my question to you is this. Have you seen Jesus? Have you felt the wounds? Not physically, but what I am asking is do you really believe that he has risen? What is often left out about Thomas, and this is well documented historically, about 30 years after this happens, Thomas is in southern India. And Thomas is being chased by a group of soldiers. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And a group of soldiers, they chase him up a mountain. And then he was pierced through four different times. And he was murdered on top of that mountain. And on the top of that mountain, there's now a church. On the door to the church, there's an inscription that says, My Lord and my God. What about the other disciples? They saw the risen Lord Jesus. Well, a tradition holds that every single one of them was killed for the sake of the gospel. Except for one, John. And John was boiled alive and left on an island, so he probably had it the worst. How do you know if you truly believe that Jesus is alive, that you have felt the wounds? Are you willing to stake your life on him? Death has no hold on all who have trusted in the blood of Jesus. Easter is the day that death died. We get a picture of the importance of the resurrection in Leviticus chapter 16 on the Day of Atonement. Uh, we spent some time um, last month uh, looking at this, but I want to just take a moment now to focus on the resurrected Jesus as the great high priest. In Leviticus 16, uh, on the Day of Atonement, all of the sin of God's people was placed onto a goat. And then that goat would be sent free. And this was supposed to be symbolic of the sin of God's people being carried away. Likewise today, all of your sin, if you have truly believed past, present, and future is placed upon Christ and in his death and resurrection it is taken away. There was another goat there on the day of atonement. And this goat was killed as a blood offering. Romans chapter 4, 25 says that Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. You see, Leviticus 16 was pointing us forward to the person of Christ because we need not just a crucified Jesus, we need a resurrected Jesus. One of my uh, professors when I was in seminary I remember this very, very clearly, and you'll see why. He's actually a Robbie's pastor now. Um, and I, I turned in my sermon manuscript to him, and he said, Wes, we've got a big problem. If you preach this, you're not preaching the full gospel because you've left Jesus in the grave. 
oftentimes when Christians speak of the gospel, Christ is left in the grave in our gospel message. A Christ that is left in the grave is a powerless Christ, a defeated Christ. But Christ wasn't left in the grave. He rose from the dead and, and he defeated sin, Satan, and death. And the resurrection, it displays the power of Christ as the power of God. It was power not just to die as a sacrifice sin, but then power to be resurrected from the grave. Another thing that happened on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16, the high priest, the high priest would take the blood and he would bring it into the Holy of Holies. And he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And he would pray over God's people. We come to Hebrews chapter 9. And we find out that this too is fulfilled in the resurrected Jesus. After Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he ascends into heaven. And Jesus, the great high priest, then enters into the Holy of Holies. He enters into the Holy of Holies to make intercession for his people we see in hebrews 9 that it's not just with the blood of the goat as was done in leviticus 16 with the high priest what blood was jesus taking into the holy of holies his own blood his own blood by which our eternal redemption is secured in christ because jesus our great high priest rose from the grave and then lives to make intercession. He is the living, resurrected Christ who is interceding for his people. His blood is in between the sin of God's people and the wrath of God. My friends, death is conquered. If you are in Christ this morning, your eternal redemption is secure through the mediation of the great high priest who was resurrected from the grave and, and he now lives to make intercession. Death has lost its sting. As we conclude our time this morning, I want to return to the two different options I gave you on how we deal with the reality of death. We can be enslaved to the fear of it or we can pretend it does not exist. But see, these are the only options if Christ was left in the grave, but Christ rose from the grave. He is alive. Jesus is alive. He really and truly died, and he really and truly is alive. And I want to present to you a third option. The third option is repentance. The third way we can deal and cope with the reality, the truth, the inevitability of death is repentance. It's to turn from your sin and yourself and to turn to Jesus. To trust in, in His power, His blood, to trust in the resurrected Christ after Jesus shows Thomas his hands and his feet and his side 
He says, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe and did not see. Do you believe? Have you repented? Do you truly believe? The third option is to repent of your sin and trust in Christ. To trust in the one that has the resurrection power over death. And then, having done so, one of the beautiful parts about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the way that it anticipates our own resurrection. That our bodies will be made new, that we will receive brand new, glorified, perfect bodies when Christ returns. The resurrection of Christ is a seal. It is a guarantee of your own resurrection if you have repented and turned to Him. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would grant us continual repentance, that we would continually look to you, trust in you, believe in you, lean on you, that we would continue to put away ourselves, die to ourselves, that we would see our great need, and then in light of seeing our great need, trust in our great Savior. May you grant that. I pray that if there is anyone here that does not know you, that does not truly believe, that you would grant them this repentance for the first time, that you would open their eyes to see, that you would remove the scales from their eyes and open up the blindness of their hearts, that they would look to you and believe upon the resurrected Jesus, your Son. Do this for your glory. You delight in salvation. There is rejoicing in heaven. So we pray for the, your grace in this way. We pray all of this in the name of your precious resurrected Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.